Hello and welcome to the Tiltify podcast, the joy of fundraising, where we focus on all things fundraising in both the live streaming and general philanthropic space. I am your host, Daniel Casperbong. I am the community manager for Tiltify, and I just had a name change, so that's why the emphasis on Casper. And joining Congratulations. us, thank you so much for that. And joining us is our lovely co-host, the social media coordinator for Tiltify, Miss Maggie Draskia. Draskia, how are you doing today? I am fantastic. Thank you. Well, it's always great to hear your voice, and it's always great to hear that other voice that we literally just heard about 30 seconds ago. We are honored. We are thrilled. We are, I just want to praise this person for days, but the episode would get way too long. But for episode six, we are- No, 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 no. go Go, ahead. Go ahead. Okay, well, we are are flabbergasted to to have none other than the Director of Innovation over at St. Jude and St. Jude Play Live joining us for episode number six, Mr. Zachary Witten. Zach, how are you doing today? I am very, very tired. I'm doing very, very well, uh, but I'm very tired. We spent the last two days doing some underground secret stuff for the people that couldn't make it to the 2020 St. Jude Play Live Summit. So we've been crazy the last two days doing some very interesting things, but they're now all done and literally flying across the world as we speak. So uh, it's good to be here with both of you. I, I miss you dearly, and I'm really bummed that we don't get to see each other next week. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. I actually saw it on social media where people are talking about how their Google cam- calendars just pinged that they're supposed to be on a flight yeah. next week and going to Memphis to see the summit and seeing the hospital and whatnot. So lots of sad faces. That happened in our meeting earlier today as well with uh-huh. our team. Michael brought it up or someone brought it up and everyone just went, oh. The collective yeah. sigh. Yeah. Yep. But hey, it will make 2021 better. And, and of course, with the pandemic currently going on, it's an unfortunate situation. But I, I believe that St. Jude has adjusted as best as they can for the situation. And, you know, it, that's something we'll talk about a little bit later. But let's get to the topic at hand. Episode number six, we're talking about the St. Jude play life phenomenon. And who better to talk about it than kind of the, yes, I called it phenomenon. phenomenon. Yes, phenomenon. And the reason why I call it phenomenon is because back in 2013, 2012, the, basically around the start of Twitch coming back into resurgence with video game live streaming and just general live streaming, IRL live streams and cooking and things like that are now very popular today. But back in 2012, it was pretty much unheard of people doing live stream fundraising events for charities. And then in 2014, we saw the creation of St. Jude Play Live and a young man named Zachary Witten kind of spearheading that project. So we have Zach joining us today. And I just wanted to start with the number one question that everyone has asked us. They want to know more about you, Zach, because you are the mustached man of the industry. You are you are the <laughs> messiah when it comes to all charity events. And when we look at St. Jude, I mean, St. Jude Play Live started, you know, six and a half years ago back in 2014. And you have now raised over $20 million and counting with influencers. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, 20, we broke $23 million uh, with Dr. Lupo's event back in December. Uh, and I'll fall, things go according to plan. We'll break $23 million or $25 million by the end of this St. Jude Play Live Prize season. Oh, my goodness. So we've been very, very blessed by amazing support from the community. For sure. And when we hear those numbers, I mean, $23 million, expected $25 million, hopefully by the end of May, there's other organizations out there that look at that and go, oh my goodness, like that is that is an absurd amount. So of course we want to talk about St. Jude and of course we want to talk about St. Jude Play Live, but I want to go back to the beginning and actually ask you more about yourself. 
So, Zach, could you tell us a little bit kind of about your upbringing as a person? Have you always been a saint, for example? Have you always been <laughs> wanting to go down this path? No, it, honest question. Have you always wanted to go down this path? And then, of course, I want to know more about your passion and how you kind of got into live streaming and then eventually St. Jude. So... Uh, I'm born and raised in Memphis with the hospice. So St. Jude Children's Research Hospital is based in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, I was born here, raised here, went to high school here. Um, and I had always been a big nerd. My first game system was the Atari 2600, which while that does date me, I will say it was my mother's system. It was not my system. Okay. Uh, I don't know why she had it, considering she's not a big gamer. But for whatever reason, I had an Atari 2600 that she had bought at some point. Uh, that was my first system. And then I got an NES and SNES, and from there, it was just like downhill. I've owned far too many consoles and systems in between here and there to really keep track of. And I decided I, wanna, I wanted to make video games. I really wanted to go into to the design and storytelling and, con and concepting part of games. Like, I knew I was not a great artist, uh, and I was not a great coder. I could make art. I could do some code. But it was basically the concept and design that really appealed to me in games and the narrative storytelling potential. And so I went to Savannah College of Art and Design. They had a video game design program. It was actually the first four-year program in the U.S. that they offered. I went there, became a super senior, so graduated in five years, took that extra year. There's some things that happened in there. SCAD may or may not have gotten rid of my major for a year, and I had to figure out what I was doing. And then, I, then they brought it back, and I came back. Graduated and then bounced around, did some like journalism in the industry, did some consulting, and then ended up getting my first gig on an MMO. So that's back in the heady days post-World Warcraft launching where everyone had stupid money. If you had an MMO concept, they would throw money at you. Right. That MMO ended up not doing well at launch. It got bought by a VC. That VC laid off the entire staff and I found myself unemployed. Uh, and so I was like, hmm, this is real rough. And I started looking out there for other things in the game industry, and it's mostly contract work. Right. So the games industry, like, it's a great thing to get into. It's, games are awesome, exciting, but it is also a very unstable, very competitive, very hard life to live. And so I decided to go back to what I was doing in some interim time in college and go into advertising, which is a way more stable and productive industry. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, Not but really, I did no. go back um, to the shop I was an intern for uh, in college, and I became their interactive designer. And I spent the next seven, eight years building interactive experiences. So websites, uh, that's back when you could send someone a DVD that had like physical media on it, like menus and stuff. And oh, it was, my like, goodness built-in flash and director so all those kind of things and i built i built interactive pieces for fortune 500 uh, companies and then small restaurants independent charities and all sorts of stuff and my boss at the time was happy with how the shop was there were 10 of us like you know we we're solid and happy and everything was great but i'd kind of reached the end of what clients were willing to pay for in terms of like concept and like uh, like higher dollar like interactive pieces and i wanted to find something else and then saint jude was hiring for an interactive designer and i went over and moved to saint jude and i spent the next oh god not even that long nine months uh was as long as i did the job i was hired to do building uh websites that ended in thon for them so mathathon trackathon the marathon Ooh, sites right. anything that was sort of a peer-to-peer -peer style experience uh i built those websites uh with the team of people i have over there there's an amazing team over there so i'm not saying it was just me like there's like 20 of us that were on that crew at the time. Uh, but we built some awesome peer-to-peer -peer experiences. And from that, I learned sort of 
about how peer-to-peer fundraising worked and saw an angle to use that to leverage what Twitch was doing at the time, which was communicating directly to people and getting them to open up their wallets in real time and see those exchanges happen in real time, which caused other people to want to give as well. Right. And the thing about that is that what Twitch was doing or what Twitch was attempting to do at that time was kind of the same concept with Tiltify, where we saw the Jerry Lewis telethon and we saw, Mm -hmm. hey, people are calling in and they're getting this live interaction with these celebrities. They get to talk to them. They get to, you know, wait on a line for a while and maybe talk to a celebrity for a minute or two and then give their credit card information and donate. But trying to streamline that and trying to work that with online influencers it, that's kind of how Tiltify envisioned themselves going and how we kind of built that program in order to kind of work. So we saw the same thing where we were first trying to introduce ourselves to Twitch and saying, hey, we can make this much more efficient, much more effective, and we can make it in real time because as people are watching this on our YouTube feed or if they're listening to this in the audio feed, like right now you could make a donation to a charity event that we're hold- hosting right now and we would be able to thank you seconds later. And that's something that is just so different and so innovative as we worked into the 21st century. And, you know, that's I'm just really glad that St. Jude kind of took that first step and that you kind of pioneered that thought process, really. Yeah. And when we first did it, we first got started on Twitch. We spent two years with our sort of homebrewed version of a competitor's product. And it was it was what it was. It was meant to do like team style peer to peer fundraising. And the thing about twitch and live streaming fundraising it's all about that real-time interaction stuff that you were just talking about and at the time tiltify was the only platform in the entire space that was offering that real-time integration and because of that it was sort of a a no-brainer like there was you know some differences in the back end but that's true of all peer-to-peer systems and what really made the difference was those live integrations and the fact that you were thinking about an audience versus a a donor somewhere down the line, you're thinking of a group of people watching and giving in real time. And that's a very different than sort of a team-based traditional like marathon or endurance athletics peer-to-peer model. Yeah, for sure. And I, I want to quickly go back because I actually didn't know that you worked in the gaming industry and that you actually had a passion for that. I had zero idea that yeah. that was your, that was kind of your drive into this space. So that's actually really cool to hear. I wanted to actually ask you a quick personal question because I know that you've dabbled with MMOs since. Uh, would you say that that is kind of your favorite genre of game to play in your off time that doesn't exist? But I love games that let me wander around a world and see things. I also love games that have a sort of a random loot element. And so basically anything that lets me sort of like zone out and go and wa- and see like a mountain in the in the distance and go and climb it that's what i want to do like skyrim what i've i've bought skyrim so many times I, I i probably put a wing on todd howard's house like i own it i think i've got two different versions of it like on the computer that i'm calling you guys from right now like i think i got the original one and the hd version or something i don't know oh um, goodness yeah no skyrim skyrim's insane draskia do you have a favorite genre of game that you like to dabble with I'd say almost the same, but mine would be Breath of the Wild. I love the type of games that allow you to just immerse yourself and lose yourself in, and and suddenly it's 3 a.m. and you're like, oh my gosh, I have to be up in three hours. (laughs) That that has been happening with me recently with some of these RPGs that have come out lately. I know Persona 5 just did their Royal Edition, and I want to dive into that. I haven't dived into (laughs) it yet. I played played the original P5, of course, a couple years back, Mm -hmm. but... You know, I, I want to see the new endings and I want to I want to experience it again. And I never got to live stream it the first time. So I never got to experience it with an audience and with a community. So for me, it's been kind of that experience. And then, of course, the Final Fantasy VII remake 
has been mm-hmm. magnificent. Uh, Draskia, you are taking your sweet time with that game. I'm not going to lie. I am. It is. Uh, it's just so perfect, though. Well, I wanted to suck it all, like absorb it all up and everything like a sponge. You never played the original, right? I did. No, Mm-mm. this is my second Final Fantasy experience. Which one what was, was your first? Fifteen. Oh, the boy band one. Oh. The boy band. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The bros oh. in the car. Oh, it is so good. It, it my was J-pop good. boy band. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That that there is basically is a, what it is. There is an alternate reality, like a better, truer, purer reality, where that game was given the time and the money it needed to actually be the three games it was supposed to be, versus that mm-hmm. like very truncated experience that we got. And in that reality, I that's that's no fantasy ever made because I don't know how you have three no four road tripping like J-pop dudes and, and make me like cry like that game made me like ugly cry and I'm ugly cried at maybe like four games in my entire game playing career mm-hmm. and for it to be that game it shows you how much heart and passion was in there and they just they just were poor project managers not to critique mm-hmm. them but like. That was, was my that first Final a... Fantasy experience, oh. and it was my first time having my heart broken yeah. by that game, by a Final Fantasy game. And I'm just like, I, I literally remember running out of my room and my little brother and being like, why did you not tell me that it breaks your heart? And he was like, it's a Final Fantasy game. And I was like, but it broke my heart. <laughs> that That is exactly what those games do. And I think games similar to kind of fundraisers or uh, entertainers on Twitch, for example, or on YouTube they invoke passion, right? And mm-hmm. speaking of passion, Zach, you kind of turned your passion for video games and this whole development world that you were in. And you took that and you went to St. Jude. And now you find yourself kind of at the head or spearheading this director of innovation for St. Jude Play Live. So let's quickly talk about St. Jude then, because you found your way to St. Jude. And I, uh, many of our listeners know what St. Jude is. But in your own words, what is St. Jude... What do they kind of represent and uh, kind of what does it mean to you personally? St. Jude is a place that proves that together anything is possible. Um, it's a pediatric cancer research hospital founded in 1962 is when the doors opened. We've been around the block for a while and we opened our doors. The overall pediatric cancer survival rate was just 20%. So only one in five kids that had pediatric cancer got to enjoy the rest of their life. And our founder, Danny Thomas, who was an entertainer, think of him like a like a Conan O'Brien or a Jay Leno for like the mid-century, like the 1940s, 1950s. And he made it a point in his life to give back. And the way he chose to give back was through a children's research hospital. And when he opened the doors, he said that no child would ever pay for treatment, travel, housing, or food at St. Jude, that no one would be refused because their ability to pay, their, re- their race, their religion, anything at all. Like we take patients from all over the world. Uh, because we want to make sure that every child gets to live a full and healthy life. And the way we do that is by taking the hardest to cure cases into our hospital. We are the place that doctors turn to when they know that they can't do anymore and they need to have a miracle. And we're a place that makes those miracles happen. And so when patients come to us, we do everything we can to make sure they're able to provide them more time and to be able to treat their disease. And when we have breakthroughs, we share them freely across the world. All of our research is available at research.saintjude.org. It goes back to the days we first opened the hospital. Like it's all there. It's all freely shared. We have a partnership with the World Health Organization to take the six most common forms of pediatric cancer in the world right now and get their survival rates up over 60%. Because while we've gotten those survival rates here in the U.S., uh, North America up over 80% in the rest of the world. It's still, you know, 1962. It's still that 20% in certain parts, if not lower. And, you know, that's not 
just that's not good enough. I mean, we're sitting here talking across the internet in the the future that is now, and we should be able to to help kids that need it the most. And really, that's what Saint Jude does. It doesn't matter what it is. We have 1,100 open research lines. We do stuff for cancer. We do stuff for HIV AIDS, sickle cell. We have research into genetic genetic disorders. We have research into the flu. Like we're clearing house for the flu. So the flu vaccine every year comes through the hospital. So it's it's really whatever it takes to ensure that we're able to help these kids with the hardest to cure, most deadly diseases that affect children. And we're able to do all of that through our amazing donor network. We have over 10 million active donors and more than two thirds of our, of our operating costs every single year, which is more than a billion dollars, comes from individual donations of $45 or less, which is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it's it's absolutely incredible. And it, it almost seems like a miracle, really, like when you think about it. It is a miracle. It is a miracle. It, it, it really is a miracle. Like when you say the numbers like that is that is incredible to know that if it's forty five dollars or less that people are donating on average, that means that millions of people, hundreds of thousands of people are contributing towards this each and every single year. And through this play live process or this initiative that you kind of built over the last six years that, you know, we're seeing that in tandem uh, with live streaming with content creators with yep. folks like myself and draskia i mean draskia can we talk about what saint jude kind of means to you and kind of how you got involved Gosh. with it do you want to make me cry yes um. that is the entire point because we're an audio <laughs> podcast right yes so. nobody can see me ugly cry um saint jude means so much to me actually i don't have it on right now but i actually wear a saint jude pendant and i used to wear one that i got from saint jude it means hope to me. I've got three children. And the first time that I was blessed enough to go to the summit, I got to see the kids and the parents. And see, I told you, you're gonna make me cry. Just seeing that much good and seeing that much put back into the world touched me so much that it's something that I want to participate in. It's something that I want to spread. St. Jude is, it just means, it means more than I can put into words, to be honest. No, and that's totally fair. I mean, this is something that's echoed across hundreds, if not thousands of content creators around the world each and every single year. The St. Jude Play Live prize season is is technically in May every single year for the past six, soon to be seven years. And we just see thousands of people come out of the woodwork and people that are big influencers, people that are smaller influencers. I mean, we look at folks like Dr. Lupo or the folks that organize GuardianCon slash GCX now. And yes, we we recognize them and we look at their events and we look at the millions of dollars that they've raised. But it's also about the folks, like like Zach said, with $45 on average, uh, it's the folks that are raising $100 or $50 or doing whatever they can with their communities and kind of bringing those communities together. Can I jump in real quick and yeah. sort of talk about like one of the smaller streams that I have come to look at as like the the personification of what we want to build in the world and that's oh my mandy like she she's now retired from streaming but she's she is now in uh learning to become a very very smart like chemical engineer for medicine person thing that i don't fully understand because she's way smarter than me but like she she was a, a like not even a partnered streamer and she managed to raise fifty thousand dollars from her community over the course of a year um amazing which is utterly mind-blowing. I'm not saying that's like a, a standard case because it's not. She is incredible. But it goes to show that when you take a mission into your heart and you share that story with your audience, that's when the connections happen. And that's the power of this live streaming. Yeah, we actually show this graphic when we uh, talk about Telsify just in general to folks. 
And it's trying to demonstrate to new charities that it's not necessarily just about these big influencers, because when you have a Dr. Lupo, when you have a Jacksepticeye, uh, Markiplier, or the Game Theorists, those were kind of our biggest fundraisers last year, just on the platform in general, they make up you know, a decent chunk of the amount of money that was raised through Tiltify for you know about 12 different organizations between those four or five individuals. But when you pan out and look at the bigger picture of absolutely everyone giving to it, we took a picture and a screenshot of every single username of every single person that has made a fundraiser that has raised at least a dollar or at least a couple dollars on Tiltify, and the names are tens of thousands of people. And that uh -huh. tens of thousands of people really make the broader picture. And if we do the same thing for St. Jude, I mean, the same thing is there. Yes, we do have, for the Play Live Prize season in particular, uh, we have Bloody Faster and we have Lobos. And we have those two kind of making these big, you know, almost six-figure uh, fundraisers. Um, but we also have the folks that are raising $500 or $250. And once you add that up, we get to the uh, 1.7 that was raised last year, was it? Mm -hmm. Or was it more than that? Oh, during the prize season, it yeah. was uh, two. Oh, well. $2 million. Yeah. 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 It was like, it's an incredible <laughs> amount. And yes, we always want to praise those that, that do incredible amounts, but any amount really does count. And that's kind of the point that we constantly want to drive through is that when you find the right people to kind of back a cause that once you get $5 here, $5 there, $10 here, $10 there, you have the occasional couple thousand. Sure. It all adds up to that $2.2 .2 million that's raised. One of my favorite things to do, which is one of the things I kind of hate about our current situation, one of the literally infinite number of things I hate about our current situation, I love being at shows and seeing people wearing those purple Twitch hoodies. So we are blessed by Twitch to, we're the only place to get those classic purple Twitch hoodies. It's $500 for the kids of St. Jude during prize season. We'll give you one of those hoodies and it'll be like St. Jude Play Live on the sleeve and it'll have like the year and everything. And I love going to shows and seeing people wearing those hoodies. I especially love going to shows that are like in the dead of summer mm -hmm. in like New, like uh, Los Angeles in July. People are wearing those hoodies and it's like you are. You are so proud of that hoodie, and I am so proud that you are proud of that hoodie because I feel that energy, and I go over to those people, and I introduce myself, and I thank them for what they've done for the kids, and it, it's it's incredible. It's And it's those people that raise $500 off of the back of those hoodies and those $500 fundraisers. We have raised something like 8 or $9 million for the kids of St. Jude off of those hoodies. Mm -hmm. um, I have a story about that hoodie, too, actually. Yeah, go for it. Um, I wear mine all the time because I absolutely love it. And um, I'm very proud. And I live in Arizona where it's a million degrees. Yes. And I live I in Arizona, I know. <laughs> yes, yes. And um, I would constantly wear it. And I would walk morning, I walk my kids to school and I walk them back. And I had a dad stop me and ask me where I got the purple Twitch hoodie. And I pointed at the sleeve and I said, the St. Jude Play Life. And I explained to him everything like that. Um, summer had gone by and I saw him in August, the dead of August, um, wearing the Twitch hoodie. And I stopped him and I said, Oh my gosh, you participated in the play live. And he goes, yeah, I didn't even know about St. Jude. I didn't know about this. My kids participated. I got my family in it, everything like that. And he said that they raised enough money for the hoodie. And then I think he got a few other things too, but he got his work involved. It was phenomenal. It was really amazing hearing that story and knowing that like I helped spread that by wearing my hoodie in the dead of summer. <laughs> yeah, if you're not watching this podcast on youtube right now you can't see the faces that i'm making right now <laughs> I literally fell out of my chair oh. uh, we made draskia almost ugly cry earlier and she's about yes. to make me almost ugly <laughs> holy god that's that's that is 
that is exactly what we want to hear for a lot of reasons like the fact that like you were so impassioned to tell someone else about it the fact that they connected with that and then they went and did it themselves and the fact that they got their family involved their business involved like every part of that is everything that i've spent the last like more than a half decade of my life trying to accomplish and thank you for that that thank you a lot to me <laughs> it's it's always wonderful to see uh, especially at conventions like zach said because um, back in you know 2013 2014 2015 when twitch still had a presence at say a penny arcade expo event uh, it would be a sea of purple and that'd be a sea of purple for many different reasons and it'd be a mixture of the saint jude hoodies but now that Twitch is no longer at these PAX events, we still see it. I still go to all of those different events to network and interact with both charities and developers. And I still see a sea of purple throughout the entire convention hall. They're still walking around. They're still representing. And it's, it's almost like an identifier because I know that I've seen people. And it's not just necessarily Twitch people. I know people that fundraise on Mixer, for example, on YouTube, on Facebook Live. And they still earn the hoodie and they still wear it. And they still wear it with pride, yeah. even though it says Twitch on it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just that's that's what it is. It's like a badge of pride. And it, that's something that's the one thing that I always talk to other charities about. They're like, how do we do what St. Jude does? And we'll we'll get to that topic later. But ultimately, it's like you've created a culture around it where people are so proud to represent St. Jude. Like we are proud to fundraise for you and we are proud to just be a part of that, whether a small part of it or a big part of it. Every single person that I've talked to that takes part in prize season or fundraising just in general throughout the year they love St. Jude because they get to represent something that's bigger than themselves. Like everything they're talking about there is one of those, you want that to happen, but you can never make that happen. Right. It's something you have to, like it becomes a circle of response and investment and reinvestment and like listening. It's something that is cultivated over years because, and this is what I'll get into later, like with, you know, with charities and why they should like what they what do they need to know getting in the space is like this isn't something you just get into for the volume of the views the money like it's it's a culture and a lifestyle and a community and the this the people that are on twitch the people that are invested in the gaming space they are the most advertised to generation and in like audience group in the entire world we're digital natives. We have like affluence because we can spend money on game systems. Like nobody needs a game system, but if you choose to spend the money on it, like you have disposable income. And so we are the most advertised to group. And so we can immediately smell in office in authenticity. And I think the thing that I'm most proud of is my entire team, even those that were in the gaming space, they've never been inauthentic. And I hope that I've never been that way either. Like I, I dearly love working with all of you. I dearly love games. I love the culture and the community. And I think that is the most important thing. Like I do this because I love it and I love the people I get to do it with. And being here and being present in the community is part of it. You can't just come in as, you know, hey, let me help you fundraise for whatever cause. It can be the most amazing cause in the world. But if you don't want to be here, if you don't want to be a part of it, then they're going to know. And if we did anything right, it's just listening and responding and caring about what y'all thought of us and making sure that this was the right thing for you versus the thing that we thought we were going to make. The, the thing that I always want to point out to is every time I talk to Zach and we've done many interviews like this or podcasts like this, or just random discussions uh, many times in the past, 
it's so very clear that he has so much passion for the space and he has so much passion for St. Jude and the mission because when I talk to other charities or when I'm talking to other influencers that don't know Zach or don't know St. Jude and they wonder, how can we be more like that? Or how, uh, how do we get connected with St. Jude? Well, first things first, you got to understand that Zach and his entire staff that he's surrounded himself with for the Play Live initiative, they are so passionate about this. Just listening to him there, I was already getting choked up. And it's to the point where I can already tell without asking him the question, uh, St. Jude has changed his life. And working at St. Jude has changed his life. And without asking Draskia or even myself, I would ask myself the same question. Uh, St. Jude has changed our lives in terms of how we interact with them, what we do with our live streams. Like we literally cater our live streams now to preparing for the prize season in May. I cater it for Quest for the Cause that is going to be coming up for St. Jude in December. It's We cater ourselves because it is something that we believe so much in that we're willing to essentially as creators, as people that are making a living off of live streaming, we're willing to give up essentially a month's worth of our of our income and then some in order to fundraise for this cause. Oh my God, that gift. Every single year I have, I've had people come up to me like, well, they're just volunteering. I don't understand. It's like, no, when a streamer, just, I'm going to go, can I go on a yeah, off for a little bit? Of course. Uh, when, when a content creator decides to activate for a charity, it is the most precious gift that you can imagine. Cause it's not just them opening their pocketbook and giving you money, like, which is an investment in your cause. And it's not just them volunteering their time, which again is another type of investment in your cause. It's them doing both exact same time. And then it's them giving up like a percentage in a a negative sense for months to come. Because when you guys activate and fundraise for us, you're giving up both the sub and tip revenue you could make at that time. And then like, people have to understand this like subs are residuals as well like people once they sub if it's not an amazon prime sub they'll tend to just leave it which is like if you guys missed out on like a week or two weeks or a month or whatever you guys choose to volunteer for and like fundraise for like that has a, a long tail impact on your income and that gift is it's immeasurable it's it's a gift to beyond like the the standard just you know hello call into the radiothon and and give uh, you know twenty dollars to your local food bank or whatever uh, I mean I, again I'm not trying to diminish those types of gifts it's just people have to understand that it's different and the impact of when a streamer or content creator chooses to leverage their most precious asset which is their audience it, it's something that needs to be respected which again goes back to why I. I spend so much time listening and adapting what we're doing to suit what y'all need from us because to do anything less that is to disrespect the gift that you're giving us. And that's just unconscionable. I I agree entirely. Draskia, when you first fundraised for St. Jude versus the next time that you fundraised after you visited the, uh, the campus, what was the difference in terms of feel for both you as well as for your community? Do you think? I was actually um, blessed enough to be able to participate in the in the summit and then do my fundraiser. Um, Yes. So I was able to bring all of that emotion and all of that um, maternal. (laughs) I call it I call it maternal instinct, but all of that emotionally charged 
parental feelings back to my community and they resonated. Honestly, I have a lot of parents in my community that watch, they watch with their kids. That's why my channel is PG 13, um, PG, PG 13. <laughs> um, we try to keep it as, as clean. Cause I do have, I do have quite a few, um, younger audience members and it was fascinating seeing them listen to the story and then donate and say like, I can understand how it would be hard to see children in this, in, in this situation or, you know, I can, can be more thankful for my children. The summit was life-changing and it was a, an experience that I, I would call it invaluable, especially being able to bring it back to my people. To my to my people to my community <laughs> your people yeah no that still works yeah, I, yeah. I would i would always i've always wanted to do this and i feel like we've done a version of it in the past where if we asked content creators that have done the summit or content creators that have fundraised for saint jude in general what their if they could describe what the feeling is when they fundraise for saint jude what would it be or when they go to the summit what is that feeling that you have like if you could describe it in a word or two i think life-changing would actually be in mm -hmm. the top three words that i would hear because I remember the same thing happened for me. I was actually part of the very first Play Live initiative the first year where I was fundraising. And it was because a friend named Cobalt Streak was fundraising. He was local to Memphis and he was able to mm -hmm. go to that very first summit or pseudo summit with the you know dozen people that went. And he was like, hey, Casper, do you want to join me in fundraising for this randomly one night? I'm like, sure, why not? So I made a campaign myself and I raised $500 that, that year. And I didn't know anything about it except that it was really important to him. And that's how he got me to activate. And immediately after, I started learning more about St. Jude. And then I started to have my own personal connection to it, right? With my history and my bouts of cancer in the past, the research that is done and the research that St. Jude shares for free, that quite easily saved my life. And that is something that I will forever hold to them and against them, I guess, if you want to word it that way, <laughs> where it's like, yes, I, I feel like you gave me a second and third chance in my life so I want to do the same for people moving forward. And that's that's something that will resonate with some people that experience it directly. That's going to be for people that know someone that has uh, experienced cancer or things of the sort. And it's just, it's a beautiful message that I think has that second or third degree of separation at most, where we know someone that's affected by it. And I think from the parent angle, we never want to see their, our kids go through that. So seeing a future without cancer is definitely something that Draskia wants to see for sure, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very so, much so. And for me, that's that's always been my mission. When I came into content creation myself, I came into content creation partly because I, I wanted to become a pro esports player, sure. But it was also driven More by... like Yu-Gi-Oh! or something, right? Uh, no, it was actually in StarCraft originally. Um, nice. I played I played Yu-Gi-Oh! actually uh, competitively and professionally, yes. And I played that for 13 years of my life. But this was kind of the Dear transition. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It was awful. Um, but this was kind of the transition where I wanted to go away from Yu-Gi-Oh! And then uh, go towards StarCraft or something more gaming related. So I wanted to go pro. And then that didn't work pretty much instantly because I was in college and I couldn't put in the time. But that's when I found out about Man vs. Game and Ezekiel III. They were doing a charity event for breast cancer, uh, the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. And that was the moment where I was like, wait you can use this to fundraise for charity? Huh. So mm -hmm. not even three months after that, I did my first fundraiser and it was the event called Quest for the Cause that's now snowballed into its ninth iteration later on this year for St. Jude. And it's just, we've raised almost half a million dollars through that initiative over the last eight, soon to be nine years. So it's 
it's something that has always been ingrained in me ever since I started content creation. But the moment I got to go to St. Jude and see the hospital and see the facilities, that was, I think, 2016. I've always been inspired. I've always been inspired to help them change the lives of millions around the world. So let's talk about St. Jude Play Live, because this is something that you dreamt up. It sounds like a fever dream, maybe, Zach, or maybe you thought <laughs> about it a lot uh, back in, I want to say you might have thought of it in 2013, executed in 2014. Can you talk that to us about, about right. that? Yeah. Can you talk to I us mean, about that? I, I am the patron saint of bad ideas. Uh, <laughs> so this was one of my best, worst ones ever. And the idea basically went like this. Like I'd been building those peer-to-peer websites, which is basically where you do a thing and you ask someone to give to you while you're doing that thing. So if you're a marathon runner, I'm going to ask you to donate $500 toward the $5,000 I'm trying to raise to be able to run this marathon. And that's a great model because the person-to-person ask is arguably the most effective ask, right. uh, especially if it's a person that you know personally. How many more times can I say person in two seconds? It, it's, it's that kind of like... Uh, it's much softer of an ask than someone on the TV or like in a mailer asking you for money. It, it's there's empathy, there's connection and it works. And I saw that and was like, Oh, well there's this new live streaming stuff that's happening out there where you can essentially do that model, but to an infinite number of people using things that I like, because at, at the time St. Jude, most of our peer to peer stuff was based around the notion of you like endurance athletics. So biking marathon, you know, walks, stuff like that, or you have kids, mathathon, trackathon, stuff like that. It's, it, you know, it hits 90 some odd percent of the population. I happen to sit squarely outside of that 90% of the population. My wife and I, you know, kids aren't really for us and I am uh, definitely not running a marathon. <laughs> so uh, it didn't really have a whole lot for me to use that awesome peer-to-peer stuff that we had ha- that we'd built. So I said, well, why don't we just, you know, people are already like using Twitch to fundraise for us. Like Zeldathon had raised $50,000 for us. Right. Um, the speed gamers had raised like $1,200 for us, like in their first ever like weekend long, like speed running event. So it was just a question of like, how do we give the community the tools that they're already trying to hack together themselves and give them a way to do it officially. And so I sort of said, hey, why don't we do this? And since I was the guy that built the websites, I could do it all basically by myself. I didn't at the first draft. We had uh, another developer that helped me out and then a copywriter helped us out as well. And so with me basically working an egregious amount of hours uh, after my normal job uh, and then completely stopping to do my day job, I kind of built this and no one told me no until at the end of the first year, we had made $540,000 for the kids of St. Jude, the Twitch community. They basically went, oh, can you do more of that? And I'm like, sure, yeah, let's do more of that. And the next year we raised 800,000. The year after that was like 1.2 or something. And it kind of grew ever since then. And so at the end of our sixth activation, we raised $10.6 million in a year last year. So that mm-hmm. sort of shows you going in like a little over half of a decade from $500,000 a year to 20 times that. Ben Lupo can turn on and raise more than we raised in our entire first 12-month activation in like two and a half hours than I did our entire first year. Which it shows you two things. One, it shows you the power of people that are really, really good content creators and like really, really good at engaging their audience but also how much the space has grown. Like when I first reached out to Twitch to be like, hey, we want to do this. Can y'all work with us? The way I got to Twitch was by going to the San Francisco Listing Bureau 
and they had a, a twitch.tv sub, uh, subsidiary of justin.tv listed in the triple b and there was a phone number attached to it and it was like Emmett Shear's personal cell phone number or something because there were less than 100 employees at the time. Like it probably set it up and forgotten about it. Right. And I, I, we, uh, I dared my coworker Susan to call that number, and she did. And his assistant picked up and took down information and said, "Cool, we'll reach, we'll get back with y'all." And we both were like, "Nah, they're blowing us off. There's no way to actually get back to us." Yeah. And two hours later, I had an email from fish sticks and justin wong and maybe ernest lee as well basically like a bunch of the original core twitch like principals and support staff and they're like what do you guys want and i was like we'd love to work with you guys can you help us introduce us to content creators and get this started and it was basically just the right place right time and twitch was incredibly supportive because again like it's it's a concept of mutual investment we knew how much it would be a burden on content creators to take time out of their schedule to fundraise for us. And so it was like, how do we promote these guys? How do we help people get involved on your platform? How do we provide mutual benefit to our partners? And they have been angels ever since then. And it's also a, a notion of not overburdening them as well. Like when we got started, there were, I think, four other active uh, charity activations on the platform, like Extra Life, Able Gamers, GDQ, Zeldathon, I think was the other one. Like yeah, it was... And Extra Life was, they're still like far and away the biggest thing in the world. Their their community model, the ability to help your local hospital, your local pediatric hospital is, it's it's incredible. Yeah. Um, like you, you all those words of praise you heaped on me at the start of this episode, I want to heap those on Doc, the guy that actually yeah. started Extra Life. And like, none of what we're talking about right now exists unless Doc is, you know, more harebrained and more passionate than I will ever be. Like he... He he was the pioneer. He was a spearhead in this space. When we started, there were four of us, five of us. And now this last year at TwitchCon, there were 42, 48 charities on the show floor. Yeah. Um, that shows you how big the space is. And I, I think like if you, the, the measure of success between those charities shows you which charities are involved because they want to be here versus the charities that are sort of like, cool, this looks like an opportunity to help our bottom. And again, that's not judging anything or anyone else. The observation the successful activation in this situation, it's invest the community and, and the desire to be here. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just the, the development of TwitchCon itself, I remember that Tiltify was actually at the very first TwitchCon back in San Francisco. I wasn't an employee at the time. I didn't even know who they were, except that they wanted to be this platform for fundraising for content creators. And, you know, pre-Tiltify, pre-2015, a lot of us kind of used whatever was available. I remember back in the days where I'd work with uh, Josh Belkin, Josh Santa Belkin, and we would literally work with these charities to build Quest for the Cause. And those first couple of years, we were like, okay, well, what fundraising platform do you use? And they're like, we don't use one we have this button that you can click and i was like okay cool so we would have to literally scrape data off their pages and try and feed that into an overlay and it was just it was it was difficult but then fast forward to now you know 2019 the last twitchcon that we saw in san francisco san diego, diego. <laughs> san fran diego uh one of those uh places yeah and we had uh over 40 charities i believe there uh we had the charity plaza we had uh, all the fun activities on the stage, off the stage. And we had new charities that are new to the space as well as veteran charities like St. Jude that have been there since the beginning. Uh, we also had Extra Life uh, over there as well. So it's like 
this space has grown and yes it is a part of it's partly opportunity but it's partly because people are starting to understand that there is people here that care about your cause and yes mm -hmm. they might be gamers yes they might be cooks they might be rrl streamers they they're influencers and kind of diving into this influencer space is just really important really effective for kind of jumping into this 21st and beyond century of charity fundraising i believe so uh but yeah and the best part about this stuff is that it's cribbing old skills like this is no different than a telethon or radiothon or even just going around knocking on doors asking for a gift right this is that same person to person connection the the order uh, the magnitude of people wanting to be in touch has gone up dramatically but it's still the same principles apply like you have to have a connection you have to have someone that you trust and is impassioned about telling your story and sharing it and really if, if we do anything well with play live it's help you guys tell our story it becomes your version of our story. It's not like I'm probably going to get in trouble saying this. It's not our story anymore. It's it's your story. It's your your story becomes the connection to us. And that's the thing that you talk about. And everyone has a different version of that. And that's the thing that I find wonderful. Remote, yeah, is that we empower awesome people to go tell our story. That's, that's actually what I tell my grandmother when she asked me what I do. for. Oh, I get awesome people to go talk about St. Jude. <laughs> I mean, that is a great position to be in. And I definitely agree with that. I mean, Draskia, you were talking about it earlier uh, with your, your mom approach and your family approach. And for me, with my personal approach, like it becomes our story to share and our story to share for sure. And I, I definitely just, I appreciate everything you do, Zach, when it comes down to it. So let's talk about momentum moving forward. You started St. Jude Play Live 2014. You had to find a way to continue connecting with these creators, these influencers. So what you did was you created the summit. Could you talk about what the summit is? The summit is the second worst idea I've ever had in my <laughs> life. Uh, the first worst idea being St. Jude Play Live. Apparently, my bad ideas are real good for the 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 good of the world in yeah. some weird way. So we are blessed with a, a central hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. The main campus is there in Memphis, Tennessee. And we have researchers from all over the world. We have patients from all over the world. We focus our efforts there. And so we have in that campus the most amazing storytelling tool that, that any chair could ever ask. We're able to bring content creators like yourself to the campus and show them what it's like to be here at the hospital, to see the patients eat. Basically, in the, the we first couple of years, we were able, able to put our content creators that came to campus in the same dining hall that our patients, families, and doctors eat in. And they were able to, to see what it's like and to play games with the kids and to do service projects and to hear from hospital speakers and from our staff and former patients and just really just soak all of it up like the amazing storytelling sponges that y'all are. And we realized this was a really, really great tool that we could use. And so why don't we just make it a thing? And so let me see if I can get these numbers right. We had 12 people our first year, 24 people our second year, 76 people our third, like 100-ish. And then it was like 276 people left. <laughs> Yeah. And this year, if we had done it, if things had gone according to plan and COVID hadn't decided to, you know, be the worst party guest ever, um, <laughs> we would have had over 320 content creators from. Wow. So that is that's that's crazy to me. Like we're talking about people that reach millions and millions of viewers on their respective platforms from all over the world. Like that's not like 
number of content creators aside, like 40 countries, four zero people from all over the world, people that come from countries that have amazing like national health care to take care of their, you know, most unfortunate people, they we do when they go, this is a cause that I want to help because if I help St. Jude, it helps my people back home. Or, you know, people from as far as ways like South Africa and Australia that, you know, they look at what we do and they find out about us. Um, they find out about us through Twitch, which is amazing because turns out you overnight broadcasters that do like the, you know, midnight to 6 a.m. shift on Twitch. Yep. Most of your audience is not in the U.S. And conversely, like the overnight broadcasters for the EU and Asia and Twitch, they'll do a lot of stuff with daytime broadcasters in the U.S. And there's this amazing cross-pollination. As soon as you turn on Twitch, you are hitting everyone across the entire world, most cases. And that means that your ability to reach audience you've never touched before with your normal marketing efforts are just amplified incredibly. And we embrace those people. I know that we as a program, so St. Jude Play Live, is responsible for more individual international donations than any other program that we have at the hospital, which is incredible. We have an amazing gift from the international community. And it makes it so exciting for us. Like last year at the summit, we were able to share with y'all some of the first information that's coming back from our St. Jude Global efforts, which are taking our research all over the world. And that was that was a huge deal for us and for how much y'all meant to us, because that was the first time we had ever shared that information publicly. It was it was a big deal. The summit has become, I think, outside of TwitchCon, the largest gathering of partner Twitch broadcasters anywhere in the world. And it is it is a blessing and a curse because it always takes years off my life. I don't think I had this <laughs> when we started this whole process. Um, but it's amazing because it gives everyone an opportunity to come together in a way and in a place where they don't have to be performative. Because I know, like for both of you, whenever you go out in public and you're wearing like a Twitch shirt, especially at a show, like people are expecting the person they see on the other side of the screen. They're expecting that that character, which like the best Twitch broadcasters are themselves taken up to like 12. Right. Like it just, it's, it's the best parts of you turned up to an entertaining, like, <laughs> like kind of level. And people expect that from you. And when you, when people come to summit, content creators come to summit, they're able to be themselves because everyone in the room gets to just be like, okay, I don't uh -huh. have to do that. <laughs> they, they get to let their guard down. They get to let our, their stories in, and then they get to go home and share them. And, I I love it. Uh, it is it is an amazing thing that we're able to do for the community, and every year it grows and it grows and grows. And I hope it grows until we get every single you know person that wants to come gets an opportunity to come and see what we do here at the hospital. It's yeah, it's my second worst idea ever, and it's turned into one of the best things we've ever. Yeah, I mean, from a content creator side, like we just appreciate it uh, because, mm -hmm. like you said, it, it's a chance for us to kind of turn things off and to interact with like-minded individuals and people that are about the same cause, which is St. Jude, of course, and we want to fundraise for this cause. We want to support it, and we get to learn so much and take so much in. But on the other side of things, when we go to conventions, when we go to a TwitchCon or a PAX event or anything else— we have to be on, we have to have that switch set to on and be at 12 out of 10 or 12 out of one or whatever, <laughs> where we just have to be very over the top because people expect that from us. And when we have an off moment with, with someone like we're in a rush to a interview or a meeting or something like that, and someone tries to stop us and we're like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't right now because 
I have this other commitment. They get upset and it's like, ah, oh, and then you feel bad and just sorry. That, that went on a rant, but long story short, it's like when we're at events, we still have to be these personas that we've kind of portrayed ourselves to be on our channels. Whereas at the summit, we can turn it off and we can focus on what's more important, which is St. Jude at that point. Uh, so it's both that as well as a bit of an escape. Uh, wouldn't you agree, Jess? Yeah, I I tend to think of it as it's about me. I'm not there for networking or connect. I'm there for connecting. I'm not there for networking, if that makes any sense. I'm there to connect with fellow like-minded people who are there for St. Jude for whatever reasons they're there and sharing my story and everything. Yeah, and it's it's also the fact that just we get to interact with some of the most amazing people yeah. in the world. Like, especially from our point of views, like we we're considered nano micro influencers, but the summit welcomes folks of all different sizes. I remember when uh, Ben Lupo walked through the door last year, that was his first summit to attend or first public summit to attend. And, you know, Benjamin Lupo is a, a literal saint and he can just say, Hey, this is a great cause. And everyone's like, okay, here's, $2.3 million, Ben. Thank you. It's going to St. Jude. That's what he can do. And he's just, he's such a miraculous person. But we also have the influencers on the other side of things, the, the micro-influencers, the nano-influencers, folks that equally believe in this cause. They might even believe in it more somehow compared to Ben. I'm not sure. He's, he's really passionate about St. Jude, which is mm -hmm. a very powerful thing. But just the, the wide array of creators that get to attend the summit and like zach said you know we hope i hope personally as well that absolutely every individual gets this opportunity someday because it is life-changing it really is and i kind of want to bump you a little bit on the micro influencer thing because i think that's that's doing y'all a disservice yeah. uh it's doing the notion of content creation disservice because the the more niche specific uh, content is and the more tailored specific audience it is the more that audience connects with that content in a long-term engaged way it means more to me to have like the support of the creators in the cookout than i think it would mean to have a uh, support of a creator that had all of their numbers combined times 10 Right. Uh, just have to be one person. I'd much rather have the support of a community and the people there that speak to an audience that is, especially in the sake, in the name of the cookout, like they're underserved on Twitch. Like, you know, it, it Twitch is Twitch is full of people that look just like me. I'm sorry to say, but like, I'm a, I'm a white dude in my thirties with a beard. Like there's, there's a lot of us on Twitch. And I think the most important thing that we can do now is support like diverse voices in this space to make it the space that is more reflective the community at large because you know it's looking less and less like me and more and more like everybody else, which is an awesome awesome thing and so i, I think that's kind of the, the thing i, I want to say about that is that it's it's not the the numbers don't matter it's the connection a content creator makes their audience. that is the most important thing if you look at straight numbers like any influencer manager what's like it doesn't matter what a number is it matters what the engagement is and like we all have great engagement which has been proven time and time again that's very true that is very true. Well, let's move into some of these questions because we oh good we received a ton of questions. I I mean I don't know why we just we put out social tweets about it and say hey we have you know a, a small indie developer by the name of Zachary Witten. Uh, you know he he might work for St Jude. He he worked on an MMO <laughs> at one point. 
you know, but uh, we have him as our guest. And if you want to, and literally a flood of questions came in on social as well as in my personal DMs. I got a text message from a couple people because they really wanted these questions to be asked. One of them might have been Michael. But anyways, I want to oh, get that guy. <laughs> that guy. That he's, guy. He's been on this podcast twice. Jeez. <laughs> so let's get to some of these questions that came from the community. And most of them are directed at Zach, but then we'll we'll twist them so that both Drasky and myself can answer afterwards. But uh, Zach, you're the man of the show for this one. Meg asks, what are some of the most memorable and motivating things you've experienced throughout your time building the Play Live program? Uh, that's Meg Kaylee, right? Yes, that is Meg Kaylee. Uh, I, I want to be Meg Kaylee when I grow up. I want to be. I want to be uh, Meg Kaylee when I grow up, and she's 22. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, uh, she had her 20th. Oh, I can't tell the story. Actually, never mind. <laughs> I, I'll tell the story. Like we had to get special dispensation restaurant we had booked out for Summit on Beale Street because they were 21 and up. And the only question we asked on like the survey is like, "Are you 18? Are you an adult?" And she's like, yes, legal adult. I was like, cool. And the bar's like, 21 up. And she's like, I'm 20. I literally turned 20 while I was here at Summit. They had like cupcakes brought to my room last night. And we had to basically get dispensation from the manager at the bar to let her in. And like, she had like big old like marker X's on her hands and everything. It was hilarious. Yeah. Megan Kaylee is a fantastic human being. Seeing people understand their own power and ability to motivate others is a hugely impactful thing. Seeing Meg and her team like completely blow away goals and the way she organized her team, the Sin Squad back in the day, was just awe-inspiring. The same thing went with like Nega Oryx followed in her footstep with Chrysalium. Like that team came out of nowhere and like dominated. It was it was absolutely insane. And these are people that like they were showing the world the power that they had and from there they've been able to leverage it into amazing careers and content creation. And there's like dozens and hundreds of stories like that. People that put an ask out and then the audience answered back tenfold. And I especially love it when uh, this is one of the other ones is when the content creator isn't prepared for what's going to happen. And I'm like, oh, yeah, set a really high goal and but make it something you really don't want to do. And you'll have to do it. And like the number of tattoos that we have inadvertently put out into the world, number St. Jude (laughs) tattoo is is staggering because. You know, your audience likes to show you how powerful they are. And when they get on a roll, they will look at that $50,000 goal you put up there and go, hold my coffee and I will go ahead and get there. No problem at all. I think some things to stick out when it comes to like our larger fundraising partners, like you can't ever talk about what we do without talking about Ben Lupo and the amazing gifts that he's given us over his three years fundraising for us. Lupo started, he was an overnight spot for the first or second GCX marathon, he raised like $8,000 in a like midnight to four spot. And then this last Friday before Christmas, he raised $2.3 million in 24 hours. And along the way, he's raised like an additional like 3 million or something. Like the guy is insane and we can never thank him enough. And the thing I love most about Ben is like how much research he and his wife, Sam did on us before they came to us. They came to us knowing who we are, who we're, who we are, what we do, and they're like, you guys met our muster. And because of that, they have been willing to trust us and work with us and do things that I think that that's the reason our partnership with them has been so successful is because Ben is both an amazing human and they also, they trust us and they trust what we do with the gift they give us. And that's really, really important. And then I think about like the 
Guardian Con slash GCX crew, where you had, you know, three influencers are now four influencers now that got together and made this like packed down in Central Florida to, you know, put on an amazing charity event. And we put it out when like literally in a like a, a state fair, like big ten building. And last year we were at a, a ten thousand person in Orlando, Florida, just just across the street from Disney World. And that event's gone on to raise almost $8 million. Like, they'll break $10 million this year, raise for the kids at St. Jude. And, you know, those guys, they looked at us and they say, these guys are someone that we can work with to do something amazing, and we want to do it with them. And every year that we close out GCX or GuardianCon, they invite me up on stage. Thank you. And that means a lot because that means that they know that this event is something that the community built, the communities built it because they want to stay connected and support the kids of St. Jude. And then like Matthew Moffat, who was like 17 or something, 16 years old. I don't know. Like yeah. the guy that started Zeldathon is whatever we think that we know about fundraising in the online space, Matthew Moffat would school of us times 10. He has created this amazing product called Zeldathon, which twice a year he gets all of his like delightful notes together and then have a week long camp on Mars. They use Mars because they don't want to tell you showing up to the event. Um, and they they play all the Zelda games, but the thing is, they're not actually the, the Zeldathon is just like this surface level veneer about what they do. And the rest of it is about like performance and art and like theater and just silly fun skits that make up the space in between like the fun parts of a game. And they, I look at them every single year and I get blown away by the production and the engagement and the things that they build into their system. Um, and I am, we are so lucky that they have decided to support us and continue to support us. And I, uh, I, every time I get to talk to Matthew and learn about the things that he's doing, things that he's planning, like it's like sitting at the foot of a master. And the guy's like 24 right now or yeah. something. I don't know. I'm nearly 40. And he is like, uh, I, I can't even. I literally, this is. <laughs> it's, it's always the kids, isn't it? It's like Meg Cayley and MC. And it's just like they're, they're so, they are masters of their craft. And I think everyone that you've described is just a small percentage of the folks that just have so much passion for the space. And I know that we talked to Meg actually in episode two of our podcast, and she is the most humble person that I have yeah. ever spoken to and worked with. Like she will, she will never give credit to herself. She will give credit to her family. She'll give credit to her mom for bringing her and upbringing her and, and letting her grow to be the woman that she is today. And she'll give credit to all of the influencers that took part in team sin squad in 2018 that raised $199,000 just interacting with Meg, interacting with Nega Oryx and her entire team when they broke $200,000 last year. And it's just, it's incredible. Just absolutely incredible to see these efforts. The thing I hate about doing these questions is that means that I forgot like 5,000 people. And that's one of the things that I, that I both love and hate about how big this has gotten is that I don't get to sit down and talk with everybody like we used to. Yeah. Like in those 24 people, I got to spend time with all y'all. And now that we are, we're going to be 320 people this year at Summit, and then we'll probably have several thousand broadcasters to activate. It, it, there's, a, there's a loss of connection that I, that I miss, but it's also th that is a sacrifice that has to be had 
to hit the volume and to hit the scale that this needs to operate on because you guys keep blessing us with this stuff. And I can't hold on to, to like, I, I can lament it, but I can't like hold on to it in like a selfish way because I have to give that up in order to give y'all what you need to do this in the best possible. That reminds me of the story that I wanted to share during this podcast. I remember it was the play life summit either. I think it was 2017. It might have been 2018, but it was I'm one of all the, taking years off my life. Who yeah, knows? <laughs> it, it's it's one of the big ones uh, where there was hundreds of us there and it was the end of the summit. And I remember Zach was he was nervous. He was anxious about the entire thing because this was the first time they had gone over 100 people. I'm pretty sure uh, there was just so many different parts of it that he had to yeah. organize. There was so many things that he had to micromanage. And this was prior to you getting a bigger team as well, I'm pretty sure. Whereas yeah. just you, Susan, and maybe yeah. one or two others, right? And that last night when we finished the activities, the festivities for that night, and we were all on the bus going back to the hotel, and we were getting off the bus, and Zach was like, all right, don't contact me. I'm going to bed for like three days. But remember that. One person grabbed him and was like, hey, Zach, I just wanted to thank you for everything and started to talk to Zach. And then not even a minute later, a line started to form up behind this person. And I don't remember how many people it was. It, it had to have been at least in the 40s, 50s, maybe even more. It was... It, 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 I was uncomfortable with it uh, <laughs> because, like, it, it meant that I was having to, like... Yeah, I meant that I couldn't talk to everybody. Uh, is what it really meant, um, and that's that was a that was a point where I knew that um, this thing had gotten too big, and I I had to get some help. Now we have a staff of seven people supporting us, so it went from me and like one person I begged, borrow, and stole their time, and now there are six full time employee and one dedicated marketing staff that's assigned to us. So we've scaled up to meet that need. And that's, again, like this testament to the community support to us. And again, like we are hyper conscious of how we use the donors. So I don't want people to get the, this thought that we're like bringing everyone down for this, you know, event at the hospital. And it's like, well, shouldn't that be spent doing X, Y, or Z? We are still like well above the average cost ratio for charitable. Like at St. Jude, like 87 cents out of every single dollar you give goes directly to treatment or research. So we are, I mean, that, that may seem like strange to some people to that's a, a braggle number, but like it, I, people have to get paid to do their jobs. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm thankfully in my own home and I uh, have health insurance. And these are things that allow me to uh, do things like work a crazy amount to ensure that when I do need to have a break, I'm able to take time off and to support my family still. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, we are, I think more conscious of what we do with donor dollars than anybody else. Like even donors and like, are you using my good, my gift for good? It's like, yes, yes, we are. I can give you this full list and justify this, this, and this, and why we do this, because I care about the fact that you are giving us that gift. I think more than like, I don't, I'm not gonna say more than anybody else, but like, it, it deeply, deeply matters to me how we choose to use that amazing resource we are given. Very fair. And, and that's that's very honorable as well. It, it's something that I've always appreciated about St. Jude is that you're so cognizant of what you're doing with us and you're always mindful of our time and treating us with the utmost respect. Even it, it, when you had the 12, 24 people at the summit versus the soon to be 300 plus people that are going to be at the summit next year. 
uh, it, you always treat us with all the respect in the world because you value us and we value you. It's a mutual respect thing there uh, that we just, we appreciate no matter what. Draskia, what is the most memorable thing from your fundraising efforts that you can call upon? Oh gosh, my personal, my personal yes, like your, fundraising? Your personal fundraising, um, maybe someone else's fundraising as well. So my birthday falls within the month of the Play Live. And instead of doing a birthday stream, I do a big, well, I try to do a bigger Play Live thing. And last year, my uh, significant other pied me in the face. <laughs> and it was completely random. It was completely out of nowhere. There was so much, there was so much support. Seeing so many people come together has always been and 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 donate to me i'm a very small broadcaster i have nothing to brag about but seeing my community come together and donate a dollar five dollars a thousand dollars even has blown my socks off and it's something that has always been i don't know i feel like every year just kind of trumps the last year so it's yeah that's that's definitely something like like... every experience just kind of does does the last one up and it's I always get impressed by that as a creator myself, but just watching other creators, it's like, how are we going to top this every year? There's got to be a ceiling, maybe, but our communities always surprise us in that way where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, we haven't discovered that ceiling yet because we're just as passionate. We're growing every year. So, you know, we just want to push the envelope further and further. And as long as the creator is willing to, and we almost always are. I can say that the most memorable thing from fundraising has been my daughter, my oldest daughter, has told me that she either wants to be an artist and she wants her proceeds to go to St. Jude or she wants to work for St. Jude. That has been the most amazing thing to come from all of this is seeing my children. They understand why mom does what she does for St. Jude and why mom goes on about St. Jude and why mom wears a St. Jude pendant. I even have a sticker on my car. I have a sticker on my iPad. Like, <laughs> you're wearing I'm, the shirt. I am wearing, wearing, the, I'm wearing shirt. the shirts all the time. <laughs> I'm, I will stop somebody on the road that I see that has a St. Jude anything and I'll be like, oh my gosh, she's like fellow person. My kids talk about it at school. It's seeing my children carry on the same passion has been the most amazing thing to come from it personally. Yeah, no, I I think the passion thing is is definitely really inspiring to me. I know that ever since I started fundraising for St. Jude, I've had community members that, you know, barely stream or never streamed. And they literally started streaming because they wanted to take part in Play Live. Uh And Uh I have I have viewers now and community members I'll call them influencers now because they are. They started streaming last year and they raised over $1,000 for St. Jude. And that's someone that has, you know, a couple of viewers, but they are so connected with them. They have that bond with them. They're personal friends or they're just viewers or mutual viewers of mine. And they just want to support. They want to do their thing and do their part. And I've now seen, if I were to hold it up, probably from my community, people that started fundraising for St. Jude because they saw fundraisers from myself or Drasky or a couple other people in my network that they've probably raised five, ten thousand dollars themselves over the last one or two years alone. And that's just it's it's an incredible feeling to know that I've been a small part of that, but that they have been inspired to do that and they just kinda want to pay that forward and that'll just continue on. So we'll find the ceiling eventually, maybe in like twenty fifty, uh, and uh we'll just continue the good, uh, I feel. Can I let you in a little secret I have? It's I don't think there is a ceiling because it if you do it right, it's about entertainment and fun and community. And the the dollar amount will just sort of fade away into the background and you'll focus more on the fun part of it and the storytelling part of it. And then the rest of it will just take care of itself. Um, I, I it's, agree. 
like chasing chasing a dollar amount is is not where I want to be with this. It's it's the who do you have now that has a story to tell about something you care about, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's what I want more of every year. The I mean the funds keep the hospital going. That's obviously the most important thing. But like I think if I keep focusing on helping y'all tell this story to more people, that'll be the thing that sustains this. Yeah, as an aside, uh, this year we're actually experimenting with that thought that the dollar amount doesn't matter, where we're actually designing a custom overlay for my my stream team, uh, which will include Meg and myself and a couple of others, where we're not going to focus on a total raised. We're actually going to focus on number of seconds that we can fund St. Jude for. And, oh, and we're going amazing. to, we're aiming, we're, we don't even have amount of seconds that we're aiming for. We're just like, we want to fund as many seconds as possible. And that's going to allow us to not focus on the dollar amount, focus on the fun and focus on the entertainment. And we'll see what happens at the end of May. So come back for episode, whatever, 10, and I'll fill you in. <laughs> we'll talk about I, it. I want to tell you like this, one of the things that I always talk about uh, when it comes to like the cost per minute, cost per second for the hospital Seconds at St. Jude, we don't ever get to skip one or miss one. Yeah. Uh, we always have to have it paid for. We always have to have this second paid for, and then this second, and the next second, and the next second. Every single second has to be paid for, and we never get to miss it. And for a relatively small amount, you can claim ownership of one of those seconds. You can say that I donated whatever the amount is. I think it used to be like $4 or something, and now it's it's gone up dramatically since then over the last... A couple of years is like healthcare costs have increased. And even so, like we keep our costs relatively like low compared to the increase for the overall industry. But that amount, like with that small investment, you're able to say that I own this second. And that means that every single miracle that comes after that one second is something you get to claim credit. For. I look at donations to St. Jude not as gifts, but as investments toward every second that comes after. And you get to say like, oh, yeah, that that cure for leukemia that came out of St. Jude, I paid for the second that enabled that to happen because you bridged the gap between this second and the next second that we have to have. And you made that happen. And then every other thing we do after that, you get to say that you made happen because it's, you know, not a joke. You did. You made it happen. And I, I love people framing like small gifts in that way because it becomes this investment that pays for a single second, but every single second that we get is the second we get to take a chance at making a miracle happen for one of our patients. Yeah. And, and that's why we're approaching it in this way, because we, we want to emphasize that thought with our communities moving into 2020, just because St. Jude is extremely important to a lot of us in our messaging and our beliefs. And if we miss a second, there doesn't come another second. And that we want to kind of focus on that rather than the actual amount that we're raising. Because as long as we can keep the seconds going, we're that much closer towards a cure. And we're that much closer to more lives being saved. So So our next question is actually from Ashley, Ashleen, who is from our Tiltify staff as well as an influencer. If you could go back and do one thing different when you first started Play Live, what would it be and why? I think I would have made it clearer how much help I needed from... A staffing standpoint that's very in the weeds and maybe not all that helpful but like i put 100 days on the road like actually more than 100 days uh, i stopped counting after and that means that i was away from my wife and from my life here for 100 days so more than a third of the well, around a third of the year and that's an untenable situation when you're also working like 60 70 80 hour weeks on the regular so 
the thing I think that I would have done differently is been more honest with myself and my wife and my bosses about what it was going to take to be successful in this space. And success is a weird term to use when you're talking about like fundraising and charity, because, you know, it's, it's, it's all a benefit given to us by others. But any success we've had in this space has been driven by me kind of burning the candle at both ends for the first couple of years. And then like when you you can see the scaling that we're doing now is because I've stopped doing that because I have like, and I, I said, I traveled a hundred days last year, but like we're on the receding edge of that. And that's also mean that we've got a more broad group of voices that are helping us guide the future of this program. And it becomes something that is more representational of the community as a whole versus what I hope is the best call. It's always good to have better, smarter voices around you to tell you what to do or to disagree with you. And I've got some amazing people around me right now. But it's also let us do other things like we're releasing a chat bot next week, for God's sakes, and not just like a chat bot that says like, hey, thing. It's a chatbot that hooks into Tiltify and tells people how close you are to your fundraising goals and gives you encouraging messages, tells you facts about St. Jude. It does all this really cool stuff. We built an overlay for God's sakes, working on an alert system. We're working on all this other stuff. And that would have happened so much sooner if I had been more honest and more squeaky wheel about making all this happen. I think the truth of the matter is that like I begged to borrow and stole to get where I am and to do this stuff. And that also meant that along the way, I don't think I was as aggressive with getting the help that I needed because I knew that like inherently I was kind of getting away with something maybe I shouldn't have been getting away with. But in reality, like it's not true at all. Like I'm doing exactly what everybody wants me to do, which is help the kids of St. Jude. I just, you know, coming up from the weird backwards way that we did this. Cause again, like I was a web developer. I wasn't supposed to be somebody that worked in like development fundraising. I was supposed to develop websites, not, you know, fundraising channels. And instead I did this on accident. And I, I've learned so much in the last seven years. I don't even know how long. And it's, it's just having the perspective I have now. Like if you would have given that to me, then who knows, who knows what would have been different. It's one of those would have, should have, could have thing, but also like conversely, I might not have done as much of the stuff that I did do. I might not have said, let's invite 100 people to Summit. I might have said, let's cap it at 50. And, you know, the world would have been a different place. But I'm very happy with how things worked out. Yeah. You know, with the exception of, you know, the current state of the world. Oh, that's fair. I was I was about to say, like, a fair answer is also nothing. <laughs> because the it's, the it's the trials and tribulations and the mistakes that you make that kind of get you to where you are today, right? Like... Yeah. You learned from the mistakes that happened, and I'm sure there were mistakes that happened uh, and things that you definitely could have done better. And uh, I know you well enough to know that you look at something. It's like, yeah, that was like a 95 percent, but we didn't get 100 percent. It wasn't yep. it, it wasn't good enough. It'll never be good enough. And it, that kind of leads into like this follow up question. Did you find it hard to delegate at that point when you started having more staff or was that the point where you kind of relinquish control and you're like okay i think i can delegate at this point because i need to um so i'd always been uh the sole person doing the thing like right. it was my responsibility i did this i did that and then eventually we had our first staff person come on jason who was amazing and yeah there was absolutely a learning curve but that's i think that's true of anybody that has a first like employee kind of situation. And then the crazy part is we went from one person 
to like six people basically overnight one day. The organization put some investment toward what we were doing, and we had some kind of a lend lease arrangement with some of the other parts of the organization that we were able to get like technicians and like artisans and like other th- people that make cool stuff get assigned to us. And we did some amazing things with them. So they kind of became like permanent attachments to this madness that we do. And the thing, the thing I learned was that it's more important in a program like what we have that relies on engagement with individuals and influencers to diversify the connections that are made to not have them tied to a single person. So like if I get hit by the lottery tomorrow and retire to Bimini, which I couldn't even find on a map if you paid me a hundred dollars, <laughs> I have no idea where Bimini is. I don't even know if it's a real thing. I don't either. I know it from like Bugs Bunny cartoon, <laughs> but if I like disappear tomorrow, I know that you know Jason and that Jason knows you and you guys have a solid rapport. And I know that like you're building that rapport with the rest of the staff as well as you get to spend time with them. And that's the important thing that matters is that there is security in what we've built. Like we, I say we, like because it's y'all invested in this too. Like you're a part of this as well. And if this is all go away tomorrow, it would, you know, make me mad, also make y'all mad too. Yeah. And so by having that back support behind it that backstop to keep the whole thing from falling apart if any one person goes away it's easy to delegate if it means a success like that it's easy to give stuff up to let other people do things to do whatever and you know it's always a learning process like i'm never going to say i'm perfect at it anyone's ever perfect at it but it's it's very easy to go from being like i am the one person responsible responsible for everything to being we are responsible and because it is a we it is going to be better at the end of this, at the end of the day, regardless, it was just, it's all about like the team and the stuff that we build. I basically direct trains now and help out when I'm needed and help guide people that are much smarter and much better at me to do awesome and amazing things. And honestly, that's better on my sanity. It's more sustainable for this program that we've all invested in. And it's better for the kids of St. Jude. It's always hard to delegate for me when it comes to any project that I've ever done. So it's wonderful to see that you've now got a staff around you that can do this. And I know that there was, there was worries, there was concerns, there was anxiousness when you try to build a program like St. Jude Play Live to the size that it is. And one of those challenges is actually the next question. So you're faced with a difficult decision, which was to cancel the physical summit. Can I be honest with you, man? Yes. That was a super easy decision. We literally oh. made it like in a morning stand-up uh, because here's the truth like we can't put our kids in in harm's way ever makes sense like it is it it was an incredibly simple decision like the waterfall was can we protect our kids yes no like 100 protect our kids the answer was not we can't absolutely guarantee that cool can we do something off campus that we can absolutely guarantee the safety of the content creators that are traveling to donate their time to us the answer to that also was no and at that point it was like cool what do, how do we break the news to the community was like a much longer discussion than like whether or not we should do it because really it was it was a no-brainer like super simple decision safety comes first forever and always to have tried to have hang held on to our event for another like week or two weeks would just have been like 
ego on our part. And like, if I've learned anything from like leading a team and building this thing and listening to y'all, it's like ego is something to be destroyed. Like get rid of your ego. It does not matter. It is, it is, you should fade to the background and let people enjoy the thing that you made because they find their connection with it, not because you matter. And so we basically said like, how do we take this and make it something that we can do without having everybody in, uh, by the way, this is going to be hilarious. Uh, because the convention center in Memphis is being rebuilt right now, we had to rent out a bar. Oh. We rented out like a music hall bar uh, <laughs> to throw the summit in. It would have been like a 1,200 person like uh, music hall, like one of those standing room only kind wow. of places. So that would have been fun. But instead, yeah, no physical summit this year. And we're having to pivot pretty dramatically to pull it off. Yeah, so you've pivoted to this digital summit that both myself and Jurassic are actually part of. Can you talk about kind of the challenges of putting that together? Because you also didn't have a whole lot of time to kind of format that. Yeah, we went from, oh, I guess we're not doing the summit to what do we do instead in about 36 hours, I think, was like going from we had a in our space at, at the building we're in in Memphis, we have like a 20 foot long by 10 foot tall whiteboard and we covered the entire whiteboard floor to ceiling in ideas for things to do to replace this and to pivot it and there was a bunch of stuff on the board that was really awesome but also as we were were doing this like you have to keep in mind that the goalpost kept shifting because the state of the world kept sliding into more stressful less good places than it was when we made the decision when we made the decision like things were starting to happen but it wasn't where we are right now which is you know middle of april and i'm currently sitting at home talking to you guys under um a shelter in place order um and like the the hospital campus is closed to to all non-essential personnel so basically only treatment staff and families get to get in so that's kind of where we live right now and that also meant that as we were planning to do things like let's do a a live stream like involving our ceo and some patients and their families it's like day two note patients are not going to be doing things for the foreseeable future until we know this is clear and safe for them even stuff from the hospitals they didn't want groups gathering of more than like a patient and their family and then they had this studio that we used to film a bunch of our stuff that studio was you know was on campus so suddenly that was taken away from us and it's all completely reasonable stuff like every single time something would happen like sorry you can't do that it's like all right cool we totally get it not a problem at all this all comes first how do we pivot and you know the the burden is on us to make the best possible product like that just is another like it's like playing chopped really it's cool what's the next modifier what are you gonna throw out on me what's in the basket we got this because we know that even if it's not perfect and nothing we are ever going to do was going to be perfect the thing that mattered was that we were showing y'all how important it was for us to still engage with you and to show you that you matter to us and i i think the rest of it will just fill in the gaps but like if you're looking for challenges, number one, like how do we deliver worthwhile content on Twitch when basically everyone is zooming into meetings to try to record content? Uh, how do we give you stuff when I'm not able to talk to you directly in person and have that the connection that comes from seeing somebody face to face? And then the other thing is like, how do you not compete but still compete with everyone else that's on Twitch? Like I'm not trying like we've got content that just got announced today. We're doing like two days worth of stuff. We're going to have a surprise announced Friday the 24th, the last Friday in April. We're going to have 
Daylog activation with crowd control. We're going to do the first of its kind crowd control donations through Tiltify that are going to power a brand new way to give for the kids of St. Jude. And really the thing we had to figure out is how do we make stuff entertaining? Because day in and day out, the Twitch audience tunes into content on Twitch made by master craftsmen in this space. And then we have to find a way to be relevant alongside of that. And I think we've done a great job with putting stuff together. that's going to be interesting and worthwhile. But I also know it's it's not the same as having everybody in a room and hearing from your peers in a like a physical space. But you know what? I, this is going to sound really cheesy, but in this situation, I think everybody knows the thought that counts. Yeah. It's the the intent of what we're trying to do, and the fact that we are giving the community two days, three days worth of space to come together and have that in a Twitch chat. And I really can't wait to see what chat does during those. We're going to have like a three hour block of just St. Jude programming, then like eight hours of panels and cool conversations the day after the day after that, it's all the warp world stuff. Like I, I really hope everybody comes together in the way that we hope that they will. I think so. I think so. I mean, when Jasky and I were contacted to do one of those panels, we'll be doing the charity streaming one-on-one panel. So we get to talk about our experiences and best practices and, the the pitfalls of your first time fundraising and just Drasky, how how excited are you to talk about that? I am so stoked. I think I screamed when I got the email because I was like, oh my gosh, I get to be a part of this awesome amazingness. So I'm I'm very, very Yeah, just the entire concept of it is is mm-hmm. what I imagined the summit to originally be, really, when I first got contacted about it. I was like, oh, so we're gonna we're gonna be in this virtual space. And it's like, no, you're you're coming here. And I was like, oh, well, I mean, there's nothing that's going to compare to seeing the St. Jude campus, but these experiences and learning from your peers and hearing from your peers was equally important to me. I remember the first time that I got to talk at St. Jude to the communities and I was on a panel and I got to sit next to Professor Broman and MC, I believe, was also on that panel. And we just got to we got to talk about fundraising. And that was just I I think Zach just at, at the end, he's like, you know, if you had to pay these folks to talk about this, that would be a lot of money. And you guys got this information yeah. for free. <laughs> and uh-huh. That uh-huh. was that was just like, I love sharing my knowledge because I don't even really see it as knowledge. I just kind of see it as things that I would do naturally, like things that I understand to be a, a good way to approach certain things. And it might not work for some people. It might work for others. But I just get to share my experiences and, you know, people will find out what kind of works for them. So Really, I just, I get to talk and I like talking. That's why I have a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) One question that is really important because we do have a series of charities that do listen into these podcasts and they're constantly asking these questions. So Alyssa, who is also at Twitch, she's the charity program manager at Twitch. She asks, what single piece of advice do you have for charities looking at this space and seeing your success? This is so this question come through on Twitter and there are two parts to my answer to this because there's two things that I think that we've really focused on. If you're looking at what we do, there are two main facets to it. And those facets are being a charity in the gaming space and a charity in a live streaming space. And so things that I would tell them to be successful in the gaming space, first off, is you have to want to be stuff we talked about earlier in the episode is that you have to want to be a part of this community. You have to want to be here long-term. You have to be excited by it. You have to speak the vernacular. You have to know, you know, what excites you about this interactive medium that is video games. And I'm not saying you have to be like, you know, diamond tier or whatever in League of Legends or like 
I've played every single Final Fantasy or, you know, lived for a hundred years in a hard Minecraft hard mode. I don't even know if that's a thing. But like <laughs> you have to be excited when you see the excitement that other people have. We had one of my staff members who is not like by pedigree and everything else a gamer. She bought herself a PlayStation to get through quarantine with. And I dropped off a stack of games with her earlier in this week. Safe social distance, everything like, you know, it's passed off. Everything was fine. But it's that sort of like she wants to explore and find out more. And that's why she's right for the gig that she's in, because this is something that she wants to be a part of and not just a passing like, ooh, shiny, let's be a part of that. Because, I mean, the reality is like there's always going to be another shiny that will get more traction or have more volume like it's a, it's like saying you want to be a part of TikTok because TikTok is TikTok. And that's not that's not an answer. Like you should be excited by the the creativity that young people are having on TikTok and the the culture that's coming out of it instead of just wanting to have, you know, 200 million people see your content. You need to have a reason to be there and you need to have a reason to want to. And the, the live streaming part of this is you have to understand that at a fundamental foundational level, you are creating an entertainment product. If your first thing you ask when you're saying, I want to set up a live stream is how do we get money? You have done it wrong. The thing you have to do is say, how do I make someone stick around and watch this? How do I make this entertaining? And then once you figure that out, you go, how do I then make somebody want to give to change what's happening on the screen? Because this is an interactive medium. It's not TV. Like if, if people want to go and watch TV, they have TV, they have YouTube, they have the thing that's been around for like almost 100 years at this point. Like that exists. It's a thing. It's amazing. It's what I'm going to go do when I walk away from this screen. <laughs> and interactive live streaming is different. You have to want to give people a reason to stay there because it's entertaining and then a reason to interact with it because that's the thing that sets it up, sets it apart. When I donate $25 to quest for a cause and make Casper eat a bean boozled jelly bean, <laughs> that is what makes this special. And if you haven't seen a streamer eat a bean boozled jelly bean, thinking it's going to be coconut, but in reality it's spoiled milk or a rotten egg, then you know, that's the first thing I would tell. Oh, he's got some. I have yet to do the bean boozled jelly. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, this is a YouTube exclusive. Apparently, I'll I'll do one just because he mentioned it. But all right. So so for those that don't know, bean boozled is made by Jelly Belly. It is a game where you spin and it lands on a color, and that color corresponds to two flavors. So in this case, he's got what looks to be like a caramel apple or a smelly sock. So oh it's, this is, yeah, yeah, it's that one. Yep. It's a brown speckled jelly bean and he's going to eat it. It's going to be one. Of <gasps> it's a smelly shock. Yeah, oh, no. smelly sock, yeah. <laughs> and so you're able to using this very small, very simple, like engaging. Oh, his face is so good. Oh, you no. really should check this out on YouTube. It is amazing. Uh, through this very simple thing, he's able to make an interactive thing where if I gave first, Draskia has now seen this happen and Draskia wants to make it happen too. Oh, yeah. And suddenly definitely. we have got a thing where we're able to raise, God, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of dollars through people eating disgusting jelly beans. But it seems it's a, a lot thing. safer. It is an amazing thing. And that is what people have to understand. What we just experienced now, right now, is entertainment. It's fun. It's engaging. It's something to talk about with people. 
And that's how you make good live stream content. You figure out what's entertaining, what gets people to interact, and then the donations just come from that. That's the two things. Commit in the gaming space and then think about entertainment first for live streaming. And those are the two things that I would advise people that want to get into the space to keep those things first uh, front of mind. Jaskia, to give a preview of our Charity Streaming 101 panel, what would be your one piece of advice for folks that are fundraising? For folks that are fundraising, choose something and and run with it. I believe passion is the key to everything. I'm an artist on the side. And one of the things that I've learned over the years is that if you lose your passion, you're going to lose your everything. You, you find that you don't want to do it. You find excuses. You find reasons not to. But if you have that passion, you have every reason to and then some. Charity fundraising is my passion. This is why I work for Tiltify. It's why I try to participate in as much as I can. When I did Quest for the Cause, I let my passion go a little bit too far. And I gave myself a chemical burn in my mouth with warheads because <laughs> I didn't know what Bean Boozle was. I knew what it was, but I didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't have the time to get it. I was, it was a thing. So I did warheads and fireballs and um, the candy, not the, not the shots. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was worth it. It was 1000% worth it. I would do it again. I let Please my don't. passion. <laughs> no, well, don't do I it would to that if extent. I, yeah, it's not to that extent, but it was worth it. It was, it was something that I got to do. I mean, obviously do it within your own, your own extent of, you know, comfort and safety, but it helps to push the envelope if it wasn't for, you know, the, the passion and driving more than my, than my shyness and my stage fright. <laughs> for me, it's, it's knowing your community when it comes to the fundraising side, because you know your community. So in turn, you know exactly what they're interested in. And if you don't know what they're interested in, you could always ask. But for me, I, you know, I've established my community for eight years now. So they know that there's two very key things to me. Number one, I am willing to do almost anything. But two, I hate horror games. So <laughs> you combine those two and you have a recipe for disaster where it's like, yeah, you can make me play a horror game. Yes, you can make me have jump scare alerts that will scare the bejesus out of me and I will be just forever. You will see the best reactions from me in the world. And you can also make me dress up as a magical uh, schoolgirl or a magical girl in general and just embarrass myself Yay! because I look great doing it and uh, people want I, to see that apparently. If you want to Google I Casper oh, no. with two R's... <laughs> I-K-A-S-P-E-R-R. -R. I think that's the first thing that comes up still. It is. Yes, it is still one of the first things that comes up. And I will never I will never live that down, even though I've got the name change now and everything. But... You keep bringing it back up. <laughs> like, you say you never live it down. I see it posted more by you than anyone I else. post it quite a bit. That is very true. Uh, and the third thing that I would mention is... Develop an immunity to bean boozle jelly beans by eating a lot of them. Because uh, don't tell that's like a magician giving away his tricks, man. No, don't no, no. Do that. It still sucks. It's still very difficult. It is still like that was still disgusting in my mouth. But if this was me four years ago, I would be running to the bathroom. So it's 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 knowing your community and knowing what makes them tick. Therefore, you can kind of play with that, play alongside it, or play against it, whatever the case may be. Can I give one last thing? Yes. Uh, uh, th this is 100% not an endorsement. I'm saying this as uh, Zachary Witten, a resident of Memphis, Tennessee. Um, but the tools that Tiltify offers, taking advantage of those is the best advice that you can possibly have. 
the incentives, the milestones, the polls. We made $10,000 off people like arguing about whether or not pineapple belonged on pizza at one event. Um, and that's something that not every platform has like half of those tools and no platform has all of those tools. Taking advantage of those tools is the thing that makes the difference in 90% of the live streams being successful or not being successful. It's not the audience size. It's not the content you're streaming. It's whether or not you've built an interactive fundraising model and those tools are the tools that make it happen. That's why we're on the platform and that's why I don't have any desire to leave the platform for the foreseeable future. So don't screw it up. <laughs> we will We will try our best. I know that we've talked about this in the past, but the reason why we have so many current or former influencers on the front end on the community team is because our development team constantly throws these tools in our direction they're like hey does this work is this something that you would use how can we make it better and when we were developing rewards and when we were developing polls and the invention of targets uh, and milestones when we were creating all those different tools those fundraising tools all of those passed through us nonstop because they wanted to make sure that it made sense from a fundraising standpoint because Tiltify was built for fundraisers and made for fundraisers first. So that is, well, thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that. But that is it for episode number six of The Joy of Fundraising. I want to give a very special thank you for doing overtime with us, uh, Mr. Zachary Witten, the Director of Innovation from St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Are there any shout outs you want to give knowing that this is coming out just when Play Live Prize season starts? Yeah, so if you want to find out more about what we do with St. Jude Play Live, go to playlive.stjude.org. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at, at St. Jude Play Live. You can join our Discord, which is discord.gg slash St. Jude Play Live. Uh, I hope you're picking up on the theme we're putting down here. So basically, any place you can look for St. Jude Play Live, you'll probably find us. Uh, we have an amazing community. We'd love to have you be a part of us. I, I will say this. A lot of times I'll get charities that will reach out to me stuff uh, there's a lot of stuff that i can't say outside of what we talked about in this podcast because of my work nda but i will say this i'm always happy to have a conversation about the awesome stuff that our curators are doing and hopefully you can glean some truths from that and thank you to everyone in the community that's ever supported us ever done anything for the kids of saint jude we've been able to take that overall survival rate and bring it up to 80 percent because of your support and it, it it makes all the difference in the world for our kids and for their families and i can never thank you all enough for that very cool. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Draskia, do you have any shout outs you want to give? Just to our social, please give us a follow. We are Tiltify on Twitter and Tiltify on Instagram. Any questions or anything for the podcast, you can always use hashtag Tiltify20. Very cool. And speaking of our podcast, that'll be my shout out. If you're checking this out on YouTube or any of our podcast providers, thank you very much for tuning in. Episode number seven, we're actually going to keep the St. Jude Play Live theme rolling. We do have a special guest that's unconfirmed, so I'm not going to say it yet. But uh, we will be chatting with someone that is activating for St. Jude Play Live. And that way we can kind of give that mid-May push if you're looking for ideas, if you're looking for suggestions as to how to better activate your communities. That will be all about episode number seven. But until then... When it comes out in mid-May, thank you very much for tuning in to The Joy of Fundraising, and we will see you next time. Take care. Bye!